Good morning, One Chapel. We are in this series called What's After ATX, and we're asking questions about the afterlife and about heaven. We're asking questions like, what happens when we die? Is there a God? Is heaven real? Does heaven have a plan for me? These are all really important questions. It's a huge topic in our culture. I mean, all you have to do is look at Netflix and you'll find curiosity everywhere about the afterlife, about spirits, near-death experiences, and heaven. And to be honest, with COVID-19 and the pandemic, the topic of death is happening all around us and even in our homes. If we think about it and pause here, reflect on our national conversation we're having about race relations and the tension that surrounds the, this idea. It was touched off by several black Americans who died unnecessarily. And so as we're looking at that, we realize how precious life truly is. How important it is for us to think about life and understand what death means, to understand that the way we think about death actually matters. And so over these weeks, we've looked at a lot of people's near-death experiences, all right? It's fascinating because there's real studies, like research on over 13 million NDEers. Think about that. That's an incredible number of people who've experienced near-death experiences. And we're looking at the science and the recorded findings as a jumping off point, a place where we can kind of jump into the scriptures because you can't create theology from these near-death experiences at all. You, but you can see how they might point to something beyond this life. And so we're diving into the scriptures to understand what it can teach us about eternity, and even about how to live life here on earth. So today, let's start with this. The lyrics to the song, Kings and Queens by 30 Seconds to Mars, it says this. It says, we were the kings and queens of promise. We were victims of ourselves. Maybe the children of a lesser God between heaven and hell, between heaven and hell. And I think those lyrics remind us of what our experience on earth is really like. We were meant to be children of promise. That's our destiny. Like kings and queens, we experience love and joy and goodness and creativity, compassion, life together. A small taste of heaven. But as victims of ourselves, we also experience something gone terribly, terribly wrong. Deception, abuse, addiction, alienation, dishonesty, anger, murder, war, a small taste of hell. And so as a result, so often I, I think we feel this tension like we're living between heaven and hell here on earth. But the question is why? What explains how a loving God could allow so much evil and suffering on this earth. Well, let me tell you here this morning, I, 
I don't know that we have time to unpack that whole concept and explain why that happens exactly. But what we can do is understand one part of this equation because all these weeks we've been talking about the afterlife and heaven. I think it is important to ask the question, what about hell? Hell is quite a topic as you can imagine. People talk about it a lot. It's a word that seems to be part of a lot of people's vocabulary. Um, Mark Twain famously said, he said, go to heaven for the climate, go to hell for the company. <laughs> and then there's, then there's this, the fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about anticipated traffic. Carl the Minion, he actually said, autocorrect can go straight to heel. <laughs> Listen, hell is confusing for so many people. They don't really understand it. So let me start off with a story. Because today we're looking at the hellish near-death experiences that people have had. And as we do so, I want you to keep this perspective in mind. This is so important because many people think hell is eternal punishment for finite sins. So they say, that's unjust. That, that makes no sense. How could a loving God eternally punish finite sins? But I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think that's what's happening here. We are not temporal creatures given eternal consequences. We are eternal creatures given temporal, a temporal chance after chance after chance over and over again to choose God. If you understand this idea right here, then it answers so many of the important questions that we have, like how in the world could God allow so much evil and suffering if he really loves us more than any other? He's giving us opportunity after opportunity to choose him. I remember when my firstborn son, Zachary, he was young, um, we had a trip to Chuck E. Cheese and we brought, I think, I think we had three kids by then. And so we went to, went to Chuck E. Cheese and, and um, it was a, you know, a, a, a wonderland for the kids <laughs> to go. Now in the age of COVID, um, full of germs and terrible things. But, um, but we went to Chuck E. Cheese one time and Zach ran in. And we ordered our pizza. We ran into the booth where we were going to sit so they could go play and all this stuff. And he jumps up on the booth and he sits there and promptly tumbles backwards into the booth next to him, hits his head, the back of his head gashes it open on the sharp edge of the table behind us. His head starts bleeding and I mean, he screams, the whole restaurant looks at us, right? And that's saying something at Chuck E. Cheese because they're screaming kids everywhere. And he's, but he screams, he's crying. People are kind of, you know, they're like, like here's this kid, blood's pouring out of his head. I've got napkins. Every napkin that I put on his head has blood all over it. Like it's just, it won't stop bleeding. Everybody's kind of eating their pizza and watching this unfold and we can't get it to stop bleeding right there. And finally some guy, 
comes up and says, hey, I'm a doctor. The head just bleeds. Don't worry about it. You just need to go, go see your doctor and get it uh, all um, patched up. You, it'll have to have some stitches. So we went to the doctor's office and we go in there and he's got to stitch him up. So the doctor says to me, you've got to hold him down. So I'm holding him down and it is an, as awful of an experience as a parent can have. And I'm holding him down and he's crying and he's screaming and they're working on the back of his head and he doesn't quite understand what's really happening and, and, he's, and, he, and he's just so upset and, he, and he, he doesn't understand that I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to help him get healed of this thing. Doctor works on it for a few minutes and finally they, they settled for something called head glue and they just glued his head shut. And, 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 then I, and then I was like, well, we could have done that first. We wouldn't have had to have gone through all that trauma. But listen, it's such, a, it's such a picture of how we misunderstand what God is doing in our lives. And I think it's necessary to understand that temporary pain and suffering is necessary sometimes to save us from something worse. God will allow that. You know, one out of five people have near-death experiences, which have convinced skeptical doctors of the reality of the afterlife. And over the past three weeks, we've been looking at different aspects of this idea. And initially, when researchers first started studying the near-death experiences, most of the ones initially reported were all good. Like everybody was like, this is awesome. They seemed blissful for everybody. A spiritual body with heightened senses, feeling more alive and better than ever, meeting people on the other side who seemed like friendly, welcoming committees. All that sounded awesome. And initially researchers even declared, yeah, it's all good. We all go to heaven. But as more reports of NDEs came to light, more and more hellish NDEs got reported. Dr. Maurice Rawlings did not believe in God or the afterlife when a 40-year-old man showed up and went into cardiac arrest, dropped dead in his office. Three nurses rushed in and began CPR. And here's what Dr. Rawlings recalls. He says, I had to insert a pacemaker wire into the large vein. The patient began coming too, but whenever I would reach for instruments and stop compression, the patient would again lose consciousness, stop breathing, and die once more. Each time he regained a heartbeat, he screamed, I'm in hell. He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact, this episode literally scared the hell out of me, he writes. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, don't you understand? I'm in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. I dismissed his complaint, Dr. Rawlings says, and told him to keep his hell to himself until I finished getting his pacemaker in. The man was serious. Pray for me, he begged. I told him I was a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me, he repeated. Dr. Rawlings drew on the little bit of Sunday school that he remembered and even though he didn't believe it himself he he had the man repeat Lord Jesus I ask you to keep me out of hell forgive my sins I turn my life over to you if I die I want to go to heaven if I live I'll be on the hook forever 
the patient's condition finally stabilized. A couple of days later, Dr. Rawlings asked the patient to explain what he saw. What, what was that all about? To explain the picture of hell. And the patient could not recall any of the unpleasant events, only the pleasant ones, when he again flatlined after the prayer. Dr. Rawlings reflects, apparently the experiences were so frightening they were suppressed far into his subconscious. Now this event changed Dr. Rawlings' beliefs and after doing his own research, he even wrote a book called Beyond Death's Door, Dr. Maurice Rawlings, and where he theorized that many people who have hellish NDEs subconsciously suppress the memory because it's so traumatic. Studies show that positive NDEs are not often reported because people fear being labeled crazy. And so imagine how underreported hellish NDEs would be. Just, and despite this, despite this, 23% of all reported NDEs are negative or hellish in nature. Dutch researcher Dr. Pim van Limmel summarizes hellish NDEs this way. He says, to their horror, they sometimes find themselves pulled even deeper into the profound darkness. The NDE ends in this scary atmosphere. Such a terrifying NDE usually produces long-lasting emotional trauma. The exact number of people who experience such a frightening NDE is unknown because they often keep quiet out of shame and guilt. Now, I don't know about you, but that's disturbing to me. Most people don't talk about hellish experiences, and I don't, to be honest, I don't really want to either. But I realize that to ignore them is possibly the most selfish and unloving thing that I could do. Jesus taught that hell is just as real as heaven. He spoke of an outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He, spoke of a pit, a fiery place, levels of a world turned away from God. And Jesus made it clear, God does not want any human being going there. Then why would anybody end up in hell? Well, Jesus said in John 3, 19 through 21, he says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Isn't that interesting? But those who do what is right come to the light. What a powerful description from Jesus himself. Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis, an atheist turned believer, said that God does not send anybody to hell. He said, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful. Rebels to the end. That the doors of hell are locked from the inside locked from the inside. I guess we don't have that last part of the quote. 
that the doors are locked from the inside. God allows them to have what they always wanted, is what C.S. Lewis believed. And Bible scholars, I think, who have wrestled with this, there is a sense at which if you live an entire life, chance after chance after chance, and, and you resist being with God, and, and there's opportunity over and over again, and you want to be separated from Him, that He allows you to have what you've always wanted. Last week, we showed several interviews of people who experienced NDEs. This week, we're going to hear from Howard Storm, a tenured college professor who was taking students on a tour in Paris when his stomach actually ruptured and being unable to get surgery, he died. At first, like many NDEs, he felt great, more alive than ever. He even had a friendly welcoming committee. If it had stopped there, it might have been tagged another heavenly experience. But just like first appearances can be deceiving in this world, the same is true in the world to come. So I want you to listen now to Howard describe what happens. This is a powerful testimony. It's a little longer, but so profound. So let's listen to this interview with my friend John Burke, who's a pastor here in our city. He interviews Howard, let's listen. I had known from some time in that afternoon that I was dying. Um, I knew absolutely, but I didn't want to die because I was an atheist and I was, uh, I knew that uh, I was terrified of it because dying means the end of everything. I was a 38 year old college professor. Um, my work was shown in some museums, you know, I'd won some prizes, you know, I had a wife and two kids and you know, a career, and, and you know, one of the thoughts that kept going through, how could this happen? How can this possibly happen? It's not supposed to happen. Mm. And I went unconscious. I awoke from that, and I felt wonderful, unlike I'd ever felt in my entire life. Wait, so you knew you died, and suddenly you felt great? Well, I didn't know I'd died. I just, I'd been unconscious and now I feel great, you know? And where were you? Standing next to the bed, upright. And I, the first thing I was like, why do I feel so good? I just felt the worst I'd ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't breathe. And now I'm like Superman. <laughs> and my eyesight, my hearing, my taste, my smell. And I'm, and I'm thinking about my senses and I can. So, so you still don't know you're dead? No. And you feel I haven't figured alive? This out. You feel I feel good? more alive than I've ever felt in my entire life. And uh, I heard people calling me um, in English kind of nicely, you know, Howard, Howard, come here, come here. So I go over to the doorway of the room, and in the hallway is gray. It's um, very unclear, like a terrible black and white TV picture. And there's men and women standing far away from the light of the doorway. And I said, I'm sick, I need to have surgery, I've been waiting all day for a doctor. Um, and they said, we know all about you, hurry, come with us now. We can't wait any longer, come, come, hurry. As we went, it got darker and darker and they came in closer and closer and more and more of them were around me. And 
now as I ask them questions like where are we going, how much further, things like that, they started to become more rude and say things to me like, shut up, don't ask questions, you'll find out, you don't need to know, keep moving, keep moving, move it, you know, like that. And I'm like, getting pretty intimidated, that becomes fear, that becomes terror, and what they were doing was just playing with me, toying with me. Um, and at first it was pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting, and then that became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands. And they were taking pieces of me. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language. And then they became more invasive. And I don't ever go further with this because it was so demeaning. I mean, I don't talk about it any further. And in that place, I heard a voice which I identify as my voice, except that it did not come out of my throat, off my lips. But I do feel, I, it's strange, but I feel like it came out of my chest. This voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't believe in God. I don't pray. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray if I wanted to pray. The voice said, pray to God. But you, so, you couldn't find one at that well, point? Well, I, I found the Lord is my shepherd. Uh. <laughs> and then I found, later I found, um, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I'll fear no evil. Um, stuff like that. And uh, our Father who art in heaven. I remember like these phrases out of prayers. And I start to mutter this stuff and the people around me absolutely can't bear it. Now, this made me want to pray more because for the first time I was able to hit back at them. The prayers were like clobbering them. This is the horrible part, um, that the people that had met me were my kindred spirit. Now, I do not know if I knew any of those people in this world prior to this experience. That's not what I'm trying to say. They were my brothers and sisters in spirit. What do you mean by that? They denied God. They lived for themselves. And their lives were about manipulation and control of other people. As a son to my mother and father, I had failed them. My father and I had no relationship. And my poor mother, um, because my, my dad and I not speaking to each other, she was, um, you know, we couldn't have any, much of a relationship. I hardly ever saw her. I had very poor relationship with my sisters. Um, I had not been a good husband to my wife, and you can use your imagination to figure out what that means. Um, but it's, that's true. That's all true. Um, I had not been the father to my kids that I should have been, and I knew I hadn't because I was busy. I was trying to be somebody, mm. you know, like the football games and the band concerts and the choral concerts and the theater performances. That could all wait because I was busy being important. Mm. I was doing stuff, making myself into somebody in that. 
this memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus loves me. Why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. And I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, I saw light, tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light. And these hands and arms came out and they reached down and they touched me. And when they touched me, um, in that light I could see me and all the gore, and I was roadkill, all that gore began to just dissolve and I became whole. And much more significantly to me than was the physical healing was that I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. If, if I, I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. And when those arms went on me and healed me, they went behind my back and he picked me up as if it was no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight, up against his chest. So there I am with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby, and I am slobbering and snotting and drooling with my head buried in his chest, and he starts to rub my back. Like, he wasn't saying there, there, but it was just like, like a mom or a dad with a child. And I knew, I don't, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much just the way I was. Later in this experience, we did a life review and he made perfectly clear, clear what he did not like. And I can safely say despised, hated, yeah. detested, about my, what I had done with my life, but he always loved me. Listen, God loves us like no other. He loves you. He loves me. You, could, you can tell Howard describing that. That experience is so many years ago, but it's still so real to him. Jesus explained in Matthew 25 that hell was not created for people, but for the devil and his angels. They had a free will, we have a free will. God created both species to love God and to experience his love and goodness forever. Angels made an eternal choice, so a second chance was impossible for them. We've made the same choice, but we get a second, a third, a fourth, a lifetime of chances to turn back to God and his great love for us. And God allows pain and suffering as a merciful warning, a merciful warning of something much worse because many times until it gets so painful, we will not look up. God loves us so much that he'll allow us to go through this pain in order to turn away from our stubborn pride. The reason Howard and others could 
still choose, right? In his experience, the reason he could still choose, I believe, is because they hadn't yet crossed over that boundary into eternity. They all came back, and that's the only way we know about them. But God gives a way for us, you and I, to be restored eternally to him now. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 26 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our own sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Paul says this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You know, all the world's religions are basically the same when it comes to morality. They say the same things because here's the truth. We've all sinned. Think about it. No one perfectly keeps the eightfold path of Buddhism or the five pillars of Islam. No one perfectly keeps the Ten Commandments. Shoot, we don't even keep our own moral laws that we embrace for ourselves. Ever ever sworn that you'd never, but then you did? You ever let yourself down? We all have. Yet God in his love and mercy paid his own price for justice. So he would be just in taking back all people who realize they need forgiveness. And turning their hearts back to him, he allows us to experience his love in our lives. Because of Jesus' payment, God has removed every barrier between us and him. Every barrier between all humans, except for the barrier of pride. That can still remain. He won't force us to love him or to accept his gift. Because love must be free free to choose. That's the only way love happens. That's the only way love works. Now, we need to understand that the Bible teaches us that there are many fallen angels, demonic spiritual beings who followed Lucifer or light bearer, and they are void of the love of God. They are consumed with their own desires. Misery loves company, right? So, so they lie to us about God. They lie to us about the path to life. In John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus says, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in verse 44, if you drop down just a little further, it says says this. He's talking about Lucifer here. He says, Lucifer has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, friends, this is why God tells us not to try to contact the dead or seek out out out-of-body experiences 
that mimic these NDEs or spirit guides because Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light. And so by doing these things, you open up yourself to a spiritual world that can deceive you, can lie to you. Isaiah 8, 19 through 20 says, Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to, the, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His word are completely in the dark. You see, evil whispers, evil seeks to whisper to you and to me and deceive us. So let me just unmask one of these lies. One of these lies that we tend to listen to. Because some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, this can't be right. How unfair of God to only save those who have heard of Jesus. There are billions who have never heard of Jesus. That's stupid, you're thinking. But stop and think about what that lie does. Think about it for a second. With the smokescreen of caring about people you don't even know, you hear lies that can effectively keep you from getting right with God, to keep you from even knowing God or receiving God's love. The irony is that God loves those billions of people. He loves those people. You don't, you don't love them enough to die for them. You don't know enough to die for them. You wouldn't die for them. So why do you think God would care less about them than you do? The truth is, here's the truth, all right? I want you to listen to this. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how God deals with people who have never heard the name of Jesus. See, it's not specific in the scriptures. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 14. He says, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. He said that. But here's, here's what I want you to get. Don't listen to the lies. Listen to the truth. Don't hide behind the lies. We need to be concerned about ourselves before we worry about others. Because Jesus also said in Luke 10, 16, anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. And so don't reject Jesus just because you're worried about people you don't even know. That's a deception. We know there will be people from every tribe and every nation and every language in heaven. We see that in the book of Revelation. So don't try to, try to judge God and what he's going to do. Instead, seek Him. Instead, try hoping that Jesus is who He says He is. That's simply called faith. But you might think, why doesn't God just make it so everyone goes to heaven if that's His will? Well, because love requires a free will. Love requires a free will. I mean, think about it. What should God do with Hitler or anyone who does not want to submit to God's rule? Should he force him? Should he take away his free will? Then he'd be a slave, a prisoner in heaven, not a loving child. That doesn't make any sense. If left with free will, he'd choose eternally his will over God's and be cast out just like the angels. You see, God knows all this. And this earth is perfectly suited to shape us into eternally free, loving children. And God is teaching the angels as well as they serve us. 
Ephesians 3.10 says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is using us to do that through earth's suffering. God is birthing eternal children and teaching the angels so all will forever choose to love him and be with him forever. That's why Jesus still has, think about this, that's why Jesus still has the physical marks on his body, even though he's in heaven. Angels and humans all need to remember forever. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God's grace will forgive anyone of anything. You don't have to jump through religious hoops. You don't have to get your act together or prove you're worthy. He loves you more than you imagine already. He wants you to know you're eternally secure in Him, and then He wants you to lead your own heart and others towards making a difference by loving God and letting Him teach you to love people sacrificially. And as we'll see next week, as we look ahead to next week, He promises to eternally reward a life that is well lived. Next week, we're going to talk about the significance of a life review with these NDEs and what we will do forever in heaven. Spoiler alert, it won't be boring. So I want you to join us. But listen, God wants to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to give your life to Him. His his love for you is so big, so consuming. He wants you to know the truth. He wants you to understand what His love is like because heaven is real and so is hell. It wasn't designed for you. Heaven was designed for you. And he's calling you. And this, if this message has sort of scared the hell out of you like it did uh, Dr. Rawlings, please understand God is not interested in scaring you. He's not interested in, in making you afraid. He loves you and he wants to bless you and he wants to draw you to himself. And so I want you to pause for a moment here and I want you to just bow your head right where you are, wherever you are. I want you to just close your eyes and I want us to pray and I want to lead you in a prayer to respond to God, to respond to His love and respond to His grace. So let's pray. Father, we just come to You and we thank You for this moment. We thank You for how the truth is making its way into our very souls and into our minds. Lord, we come to you in this moment and we ask you to forgive us for believing a lie. Forgive us for running. Forgive us for keeping you at a distance. Forgive us for insisting on our own way. Insisting on our own way of life and foolishly rejecting the taste of heaven that you want to give us here in our, in our earthly life. Father, forgive us. We repent right now. We turn around. We turn the other direction. We turn towards you. We look to you. We ask you to make yourself real to us. 
We ask you to take care of our sins and our history, our foolish past, our wounded yesterdays, and we ask you to heal us on the inside and then begin to work your will in us so that we can be a blessing to the, the world. Father, we receive your love through Jesus Christ today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.